Welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm Hillary Coughlin. And I'm Christina Anavi. We're both mental health clinicians and health coaches coming together to talk all things mental health and wellness. Our mission is to destigmatize the topic of mental health by talking about real life relatable experiences and hardships that people go through every day but may struggle to talk about. This is a place where we dig deep, get real, and empower you to get through life's challenges. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mental Health Matters podcast. This is episode 21. We're talking about medications and how they can help our mental health. And we have a guest today. So we have Colin White. Colin is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner who has been providing treatment to individuals in need of psychiatric services for close to a decade. He has served individuals across the lifespan with a wide range of psychiatric conditions. Colin also has provided medication assisted treatment for opioid use disorder and alcohol use disorder. He currently works as the main attending provider on a unit where he oversees the treatment of 12 adolescents on a daily basis. In addition to his duties to treat patients, he's also been a teacher to multiple medical students and nurse practitioner students. Welcome, Colin. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. So we're, we're excited about this topic because they're just like, I mean, mental health in general, there is a big stigma around medication and psychiatric medication. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard in the past personally um, that it's an easy way out, um, that it's a Band-Aid, that it's for people who are weak and can't handle their own problems, like so so much just ignorance. And Mm -hmm. so having you here today, and especially somebody who specializes in working with adolescents, which medication in adolescence is a sensitive area. Um, I think people could really benefit from just like a candid talk on what medications are like helpful for when it comes to mental health and how people can really navigate the stigma. So we're excited to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Um, So yeah, I, so I work mainly with adolescents right now. Um, I do cover for the child psychiatrist when he's on vacation. We kind of plan our vacations out um, so that I can cover for him. Um, I I do practice, um, you know, in a way that I don't try and push medications on everybody. There's definitely a time and a place. So I've I've discharged. I don't even know how many people from my facility. Um, whether it's on the children's unit, the adolescent unit, or even the adult units. Um, if I don't feel like they need to be on medication, I'm not gonna you know, push it on them. Um, especially with adolescents, I mean, I do have to get consent. Um, if their parents are feeling, or parents or guardians are feeling as though they do need medication, there have been times where I have argued you know, that you know, I think this is more of an outpatient sort of um, sort of concern to deal with. I am a very huge proponent of therapy. Yes, yeah, as as we are as being yes. therapists. Yes. Um, um, yeah, we we. I mean, I think Hillary, you would agree that when I talk to people, I I rarely recommend 
just medication, but I will yeah. recommend just therapy. Um, yeah. Usually it's, it's both. I mean, so the way I describe it is like, you know, for a lot of people, it's like 50% medication, 50% therapy. But as time moves on, it's more like 75% therapy. And then it moves into like 100% therapy. Mm -hmm. are helpful. They often get people to a place where they can, you know, engage in therapy. For some people, it's, you know, they're, they're on medications for a long period of time. Uh, for others, a short period of time. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't view myself as a, you know, a medication, you know, prescriber, even though that is my job. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a, that's a helpful and realistic approach and something that Hillary and I definitely um, take as well, as far as like, it's not our place to force medication on anyone, unless maybe you're like a danger to yourself or society. And Absolutely, yeah. Admitted, but for the general public, like it is really a personal choice and it's a personal mm -hmm. journey because I know for a lot of people, there's, there's a concern around feeling like a guinea pig because sometimes yeah. you do have to try different things to find what works. Absolutely, um, yeah. How do you navigate that with, with people who are, contemplating but not ready well i mean there are certain guidelines that we have to follow um so if somebody hasn't been on a medication before um you know they do recommend trialing um, antidepressants first um for my population right now adolescents i find a lot of them come inpatient um because their suicidal thoughts worsen with certain antidepressants. Right. Um, so that is a big sort of, it's an area that I find occurs more often than I ever thought it would. Um, and it's not just like, you know, outpatient prescribers making mistakes. It's because there are guidelines to be followed and um, it's just the choices don't, really um they're not tolerated by the individuals mm -hmm. and suicidal thoughts do increase but that being said you know i've seen a lot of people just just everything has been changed with medication um from depression anxiety um all the way up to psychosis uh bipolar episodes. I mean, there's definitely a time and a place and there's definitely a time and a place not to prescribe. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, if, if therapy works great, that's awesome. Um, but if therapy is not doing everything it needs to be doing, yes, a time and a place. So one thing, Colin, that I will often say to clients, so this will, I'll get, it'll be good to get your perspective to see if this is the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. um, but usually what I'll tell people is, you know, we'll do therapy for a few months and if their symptoms persist and it's also, they have a chronic history of these symptoms, then I will suggest that maybe medication is something that we look into because at that point, like there's clearly some kind of like biological 
component going on here. If you have a chronic history of anxiety and depression, we've applied interventions, we've talked about it, we've done all these things, and you're still having a similar level of those symptoms, then perhaps now is an appropriate time to consider medication. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think um, well, like you mentioned, I mean, sometimes the medication component is something that's helpful for getting someone to, um, to being ready to engage in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those cases where people are engaged in therapy and um, they're, you know, because there might be a chemical imbalance that just can't be, um, you know, um, fixed uh, with therapy, then yeah, moving towards medication is, is definitely warranted. Um, the unfortunate thing in psych is it's more of an art than a science. Um, so there isn't a lab um, that's gonna tell us what's, you know, what's off. Um, whereas, you know, we can check thyroid, we can check, you know, um, iron, we can check all sorts of things and, and sort of look at those and, and say like, oh, if someone's got high cholesterol, we can maybe start with a statin to reduce that. Um, with psych, it's, uh, it's kind of difficult, but that's kind of why I like it. <laughs> because I view it um, as a puzzle that I want to solve. That being said, a human is not a puzzle, um, <laughs> but it's just kind of like an art form that I kind of, I, I want to figure out. And I've gotten pretty good at, um, you know, putting certain medications in my toolbox that I find have been more um, effective for individuals rather than have been ineffective and have multiple adverse drug reactions. So I'm really picky about the medications I choose, and I'm I'm very methodical about um, when or how I choose them. And when you have a client or a patient have a new medication, mm-hmm. what would your advice be, your clinical advice be, to monitor that medication for themselves? Like, say someone's new to medication, doesn't really know how to track it in terms of, you know, their side effects or the efficacy, you know, all of that. How do you, what do you tell them to do? So a lot of times with medication, you know, from what I gather from the patients that I've treated is a lot of people tend to not feel like the, the efficacy themselves, but it's more, it's more the objective reporting from people around them. Um, so the subjective report is important uh, from that person, but the, the reports from you know family members and friends definitely comes into play. I mean, if someone's having trouble getting out of bed every single morning, um, yeah, they might realize like, hey, I'm getting out of bed more. I'm you know, able to, you know, feel more motivated to take a shower, to take care of myself. But um, that's not always reported. I feel like it comes a lot, you know, a lot of the information comes from family members and friends like, hey, you know, they're doing better in school. Um, They're able to do this and that. And um, that wasn't happening before. 
Mm. A lot of it is, it does come from people around uh, the individuals taking the medication. I know for myself personally, as I've been very open about my experience so far with medication, um, I know for myself, it was a very subtle and very gradual progress where like, so I have anxiety and um, public speaking has always been a big phobia of mine. Same I, I here. <laughs> Um, and so I would notice that like, even on zoom calls, if it was like a group call, like my heart would be racing and I would get like really nervous before even having to speak or, you know, mm -hmm. even like silly introductions. And I noticed after taking medication for a while, I was like, Oh, I don't have those heart palpitations anymore. When I public speak, that's interesting. Yeah. Or like, Oh, I noticed that like the dishes in the sink have been there for all day. And I don't feel like this hyper, like focus to go clean them. Like these like small, subtle changes yeah. over time then, but it wasn't like a light switch, you know, that yeah. changed. I still experience stress. I still experience like days that I'm down. And it's not a. Those are time. feelings we should all feel. Exactly. I, right. People are thinking, Oh, I've got anxiety. I want this to all be gone. Right. Is that we need to have anxiety um, to a certain degree. It's just when anxiety is impairing our ability to function, that's when there's an issue. And, you know, going back to you, you know, having the public speaking um, anxiety, I had a lot of anxiety going into this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like because of my, you know, anxiety and my depression, my history, which we won't go into, but, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on with me for the longest time. And I, um, you know, once I finally realized what was going on, I, something clicked with me and, um, I just kind of had this feeling like, Oh, I want to help others find out what's going on too. Mm -hmm. Um, and the anxiety is always going to be there. I have that night. Um, I've been able to manage it. So I think I've told Hillary a couple of times before coming on here, like I'm pretty anxious about this, but. Ah, well, we, we really appreciate your vulnerability and your, um, you sharing that and normalizing that, you know, I talk about yeah. that all the time. Like I'm a therapist and I, I have anxiety. I take medication. Yeah. I go to therapy, like we're human beings and absolutely having, yeah. having anxiety or, or depression or whatever doesn't, um, doesn't mean we can't, you know, we can't yeah. do things. It's just, we need a little bit of help and everybody needs a yeah. little help. So yeah. it's nothing to be ashamed of, but, but along those lines, like how do you help people work through that stigma and that fear um, around taking medication, maybe for the first time? So based on the setting that, you know, in which I work, it's, it's a little different than outpatient, which I had been doing for approximately four years before going inpatient. But um, I had more of that conversation in an outpatient setting where, you know, people were apprehensive to trialing medication. Um, but after a few times of, you know, meeting with the person um, and getting to know me and and understanding that I'm not, you know, there just to push medication, like constantly, like, I'm only going to do something if, if that person's ready. Um, and 
if they trial medication and, and don't tolerate it or, or don't like the way they feel or have some adverse reactions, I mean, you know, we don't have to continue with it. Um, you know, it, at least they took that first step in that direction, which is huge. I mean, taking a medication to, to change your mood is scary, but it's also scary in, in the prescriber's point of view as well, because the last thing I want is for someone to feel worse. Sure. Um, and that's why, you know, going back, I'm pretty methodical about it. Um, in an inpatient setting, um, it's more or less like, you know, if I'm talking to parents, you know, we need to get your child better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, nothing's been really effective uh, you know, in, in getting that person better and we need to do something about it and, and, uh, figure out something faster, um, uh, you know, get them, get them better faster. Right. Yeah. And it's also important for people to know that are listening that some medications do take quite a bit of time mm. to really start seeing any difference, right? Yeah, so that's um, a lot of the antidepressants that are first line. Um, And I kind of have, you know, everybody's different in the prescribing realm, um, but I tend to go with other medications that I find to be more effective and have fewer adverse drug reactions associated with them. Um, I know I keep going back to, to children and adolescents, but, uh, there are, I think 30 or 36, maybe, um, antidepressants that are, you know, have a black box warning associated with them, increase, you know, risk of suicide. And those are the ones I tend to take, you know, I take those medications off when they're inpatient. Mm. Um, there, so let's see, the United States and New Zealand, I think, are the only two countries that I know of that do the direct-to-consumer advertising on TV. Oh, wow. And um, so a lot of those medications, uh, well, they make them seem all happy and whatnot, and then, then they describe their adverse drug reactions, like, real quickly. That right. <laughs> But there, there are some that they, they promote as like augmenting agents to antidepressants um, so that they'll, they'll enhance the effect by a certain percentage. I, I, I don't, can't really give you an estimate or what I remember, but um, instead of using two medications, I'll usually just go with the one medication that is the augmenting one, which is actually the one that's doing the job, mm-hmm. um, which tend to be antipsychotics and they tend to be pretty scary sounding. Um, but at low doses, they tend to be very effective for depression. Um, and they don't have that risk of in, increasing intrusive thoughts for adolescents or anybody under the age of 24. Uh, when the, you know, the frontal cortex isn't fully developed. Um, and they tend to work pretty fast. And the, the thing too is like for, for the general public 
I mean, you're, you're likely starting on the lowest dose and working up. So it's not like yeah. you're going to be hit with something <laughs> um, and suddenly you're going to be a completely different person. Um, yeah. And what, what I'm getting from this conversation too, is that how important it is to work with a provider that you really trust and that you mm -hmm. have um, a, a solid relationship with, or at least feel comfortable with so that absolutely. Yeah. So that you're not feeling pressured. Unfortunately, I, you know, with insurance constraints, um, you know, we can't do therapy and prescribe. Um, we'd have to have people pay out of pocket for that. And that's something, you know, you know, uh, another conversation for another day. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but it is really hard for people to um, connect with their prescribers because it's just, it's such a quick visit. Um, and I think a lot of um, prescribers just uh, aren't really willing to engage in conversation as much as therapists are, which brings us back to the importance of therapy. Um, and when I worked outpatient, getting feedback from the therapist was imperative. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I will, I will often, yeah, I'll tell clients that like, if they want to sign a release and have me talk to their med provider, like I'm more than happy to do that. Like, yeah. I think it's just really helpful to have extra <laughs> pair of eyes on someone if they're starting. Absolutely. Yeah. Time. Or going through a change. Yeah. Thank you for um, clarifying that though. Yeah. Because when you say that, you know, a nurse practitioner or a provider med prescriber is different than a therapist like there are two separate roles right mm -hmm. so thank you for um yeah i mean even though we're trained to you know give you know site you know provide therapy um it's just not feasible uh, i mean uh, i mean insurance covers mental health but they won't allow people to see someone that prescribes and also a therapist in one day. Right. They have to, you know, in terms of billing, it has to be two separate days. Mm -hmm. And if people have the money, great. You know, if they get along with their prescriber and, and you know, get something out of the therapy that's uh, being given, that's awesome. But a lot of people don't have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. We'll call in. I mean, all of this information is really helpful. And if you're if you're open and willing, like we'd love to have you back at some point. And, yeah. and uh, there's there's a great. lot to talk about. I know, and that's the thing, and that's often the the case when we bring on guests is like we, there's only a short amount of time and so much that we yeah. can cover. Um, but all of this was really helpful in just giving. I our hope listeners. so. Yeah. Yeah, giving our listeners just a better insight as far as like what to expect and what to look out for. Because because again, we don't know what we don't know, and the information mm -hmm. that some of our audience members are getting is just flawed or inaccurate or um yeah. not the whole picture and so to have an expert come on and if anybody you know is in contact with you and has questions i mean i'm more than willing to answer anything yeah, yeah. absolutely a busy day but thank you you know what I i'm more than willing thank you 
Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, obviously, listeners, if you do have questions, as Colin said, please reach out to us. Um, Hillary and I will have our contact information um, in the show notes. And if you want Colin back, give give us a shout and we'll see if we can coerce him into coming back on. Yeah, let us know if you have any questions. You can DM us, Hillary and Christina. Yep. And you know, hit subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and leave us a rating if you would as well. And we hope that you all have a good week and stay well. Stay well.